Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. Today's episode of the 94 Feet Report and the podcast itself are brought to you by Fan Essentials. You can use promo code 94feet at checkout for 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials. And by Daily Fantasy Nerd. If you check out the link on my Twitter uh, and our episode descriptions, you'll get some great daily fantasy tools if you use DraftKings or FanDuel or whatever. So check them out for some great daily fantasy tools. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Uh, you can find all of my other work there for the Dream Shake and for NBA Lead and, of course, for the podcast. And um, if you missed our previous episode, which was the first ever episode of Free Talk Fridays on the 94 Feet Report, uh, you can check out that episode. And in it, we talk about our new blog. So we have a blog now. It's called the 94 Feet Report blog uh, through through WordPress. And you can check out the link on my Twitter. And I've written a couple articles on Giannis Adentacupo, Greg Monroe, Rudy Gobert, etc. So I'll be doing, you know, two to three kind of feature posts um, a week there, diving into the stats and numbers. So check out the 94 Feet Report blog um, as well as the podcast, of course. In today's episode, we're going to be... Um, Recapping the week in the NBA, of course, Um, we're going to first start off with a little bit of news because right before I started this recording, uh, the Rockets officially decided to match on Donatus Montiunas' offer sheet with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. So we're going to talk about that first because it's pretty relevant um, because it it just um, happened, essentially. The, 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 The decision was just made. And then we will be going into, of course, recapping the week, talking about the hot teams, talking about the cold teams, diving into the uh, advanced stats um, for each team and stuff, and their defensive and offensive rating and their net rating, etc., who's playing well, who's not playing well. Then we're going to, of course, do our Watch and You segment of the week, where we pick a player um, or executive or management or just some personnel in the NBA and, and, you know, why we're watching them for good or bad reasons. Then we're going to talk about, we're going to have a little uh, game. It's called Yay or Nay. And so we're going to be talking about some trends that have developed over the first month or a little bit more than the first month of the season. And I will, you know, give my yay or nay on if I think the trends will continue and explain why, of course. Um, And then, of course, we'll get to our best and worst of the week. So a lot of things to talk about. Let's start, of course, with Nanis Maniunas because it's been one of the more fascinating restricted free agent cases in a while, I would say. Um... And so if you just missed it, um, the Nets offered Monty Yunus a four-year, uh, $37 million deal on, uh, I believe, Thursday. I believe Friday, actually. Um, yeah, it was Friday. And so, But the interesting thing about the contract itself is that the last two years are not guaranteed. And there are some weird incentives so that in the first year, I think around only $5 million is guaranteed for his salary. Um, and then by, I think, March... Um, the rest of the money becomes guaranteed, which would make it up to $9 million. It's front-loaded, which means the first year is the highest salary, and it then decreases each year. Um, and so with those weird incentives, it was one of the most interesting, unique um, salary offer sheets for uh, I've ever seen, especially in um, – I know Bobby Marks was giving a lot of credit on Twitter to the Brooklyn Nets front office for creating these interesting, unique contracts that really forced the Rockets' hand. Again, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the situation, Monty Yunus was a restricted free agency with restricted free agent with the Rockets. Um, they could not get a long-term deal. Monty Yunus wanted multiple years. The Rockets were not willing to give him multiple years because of um, his back injury. Um, though Brooklyn Nets said he was healthy enough to offer him the contract, and the, the Rockets matched. So I guess that they deemed him healthy enough as well. Um, so they couldn't get a long-term deal, and. Um, they just had these kind of this kind of stalemate. You know, Monty Unis declined the qualifying qualifying offer, so he could have taken that one year, four million dollar ish qualifying offer, and then made himself an unrestricted free agent next year, which is what a lot of people told him to do, so that he could play um, really well, put up some numbers in D'Antoni's system, and then become an unrestricted free agent. But his agent apparently advised him not to do that. They couldn't get a deal. Then that deadline of November 22nd passed, where um, now that the Rockets cannot trade Monty Unis. Um, for the rest of the season, and, and now because of this unique deal, um, they cannot trade Moniunis without his consent for over a year. So they won't be able to trade him by, by this trade, the trade deadline. They won't be able to trade him in the summer either. Um, they won't. They won't be able to trade him for a year without Moniunis's consent. So that's another interesting caveat of this contract as well, which is why you know it was, it was interesting to see if the Rockets were going to match a lot. People were essentially 50-50 on Twitter. Some people said, yeah, it's a no-brainer. You know, not a huge risk. Some people were like, you know what? 
teams playing well enough. They got guys filling in like Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, etc. That they don't really need Demo, especially at this kind of weird contract that kind of closes the Rockets' cap space. Because the big deal with the Rockets and Daryl Morey, if you're not familiar, is that he loves having one. He loves having tradable contracts, which I think this is a tradable contract, but some say it wouldn't. It isn't. And he loves having flexibility because he loves to make moves in the offseason. We know he loves to chase those star players. Sometimes it works out, um, i.e. Dwight Howard. Sometimes it doesn't, i.e. Chris Bosh. So Maury loves to have that flexibility. So people weren't sure exactly if he was going to match the contract, of course. So anyways, I mean, there were two reasons why – there were two arguments for in favor and against matching the salary. So, I mean, if you were against ma- matching the, the offer sheet for Monty Ennis, you're essentially talking about – his injury risk, Moniunas did have that back injury, and back injuries are always a problem, especially for big men. So, I mean, who knows how healthy he is? I th- the Ro- the Nets deemed him healthy enough to offer him this this contract, and the Rockets deemed him healthy enough to match the contract. So, I'm I'm pretty assured that his health is not a problem. Um, and then again, you as I mentioned, you're not going to have any salary cap space. So, with this new contract added to the payroll, you're not going to have six, six salary cap space basically at all, especially not for a, a star player, not even for a starter worth money apparent in today's NBA. So maybe you can squeeze, if you trade like a Corey Brewer um, or someone like that, you could squeeze out enough space to, to squeeze in maybe a, a low starting salary, but more likely you're going to use that salary for a guy off the bench because that's how little cap space the Rockets have and because others are playing well. Sam Decker has really emerged and we're going to talk about that Rockets-Golden State game in our recap of the week because I think it's the game of the year so far. Sam Decker is really good in that game. Montrose Hill was good in that game. And both of them continue to play well in the next night in Denver. Um, Decker has been more impressive than Harrell. He's got more playing time and he's done more with that playing time. But uh, because of the emergence of Decker and Harrell, and you still have Nene, who isn't good, but can still provide you 10 to 15 minutes, there is there is a lack of minutes. Now, Monty Yunus is back. You know, does that push Harrell out of the rotation? Does Harrell still find his minutes? Does Decker move to the small forward position? In which case, what do you do with Corey Brewer? I mean, there's it's not going to be easy to find minutes. But I think D'Antoni will love to have Monty Yunus in his system. He's been talking about it um, all through training camp and preseason and then so far in the regular season. He's still been talking about, you know, I, I want Monty Yunus here, but it's business. The business has now been settled. Monty Yunus is here, and we'll see what D'Antoni can really do uh, with Monty Yunus' skill set, which is very unique for a seven-footer. But I was arguing that the Rockets should match because, one, it provides depth. We still are not sure. Nene has had a lingering knee issue. You know, he, he obviously sits out games for rest as well. He is 34. So you never know. Maybe Nene comes down with an injury. We know Ryan Anderson has a big injury history. Um, so those are two key guys in the front court rotation that have significant injury history and risk. So if one of them gets hurt, Monius now can slot in and you, you don't lose more. Monius is better than Nene right now. And if Monius were for to slide in uh, in case of an Anderson injury, you wouldn't be drastically worse. You'd miss Anderson three-point shooting, but you'd get Monius in the low post, etc., and his passing. Um, so depth is an important one. And then, of course, I just love the skill set and the fit for uh, – Monty Yunus in this Mike D'Antoni system. I think he just has great skills for a Mike D'Antoni big man. He can pass. He can. He's not a. He's not a floor spacer. People just assume he's a floor spacer. That year, 2014, 2015, that year when Dwight was out like half the games and Monty Yunus started and was really impressive. He did hit 36.8% from three, so he can space the floor, but um, he's not consistent. I think his career three point percentage is around 30. So you know you're not gonna rely on him, but. He probably will get more open looks in D'Antoni's system. He'll be definitely more encouraged to fire them up. Um, so maybe he can improve to 33 to 34%, which is good enough to space the floor for a 7-footer, especially if he's playing at center, which he most likely will in D'Antoni's system, especially if Harrell plays center. So I think for for the depth reasons and for the great skills that Monunas has, especially for a Mike D'Antoni system, and the relative low risk of the contract, as Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue uh, pointed out on today's edition of, of the Dunked On podcast, um, they were talking about it. If he's not good enough by March, you can cut him and eat that, you know, $8 million salary before it becomes guaranteed fully for the next two seasons. So there is relatively low risk. So he adds depth. He has great skills for a Mike D'Antoni system. And um, I think the team likes him. I think James Harden likes playing with Monty Yunus as well. Um, and the team, it's just good to have Monty Yunus back. I mean, he, he showed in 2014, 2015 that he can be a go-to guy. And he's not going to even be counted on to be a go-to guy, considering the fact that Eric Gordon's here, Ryan Anderson's here, and James Harden's obviously still here with the ball in his hands a lot. So I am totally in favor, of course, being a Rockets fan, I am totally in favor of of the Rockets matching that that 
um, offer sheet and it's nice to have money in his back and it's nice to add another piece to a Rockets team that looks a lot better than expectations but we will get to them when we start talking about hot teams and cold teams of the week. So let's just go back to recap um, the last week of the NBA season. So before we get into the hot teams and the cold teams, I just want to talk briefly about that Rockets-Golden State game because I haven't really had a chance to that that much since. Um, and so it was just really just, I think it was the best game of the season. Obviously, if you missed it, it was double overtime in Golden State, in Golden State, I should say, in, or- in Oracle. Um, and, you know, the Rockets just, you know, they were able to outgun and kind of outscore the Warriors. They, they beat the Warriors at their own game, which was very impressive. Um, again, I told you Sam Decker really emerged. He hit some really clutch shots. Ryan Anderson hit some really clutch shots in the end. Um, that step back along two and then that three in the corner. Um, James Harden missed the, uh, a potential game winner um, at the end of regulation. And then Kevin Durant missed it after the first overtime. And then the second overtime, the Rockets pulled away when Curry fouled out. And then Green had that flagrant kick to the, um, the head, which Draymond Green will be featured in this podcast later when we get to worst and best of the week. And you can probably tell which one he's going to fit in this week. Um, it was just really an incredible game. Go on YouTube, check out the highlights if you missed the game, um, whatever. Um, but I just had to mention that game because it really was one of the best Rockets um, regular season wins I've seen in a long time. So now, to recap the past week, I think it'd be, it'd be probably most appropriate to um, talk about some hot teams and talk about the, some cold teams. So I am actually recording this um Monday, December 5th, and it's actually before the games of the night starts. It's around 5.25 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right now, as I'm recording right now. And due to some other circumstances, I can't record after the games. I usually wait to record until most of the games uh, finish. I can have the most up-to-date standings and stats, but um, something else is, is, is happening for me after the game, so I have to record before the game. So by the time you're listening to this, Tuesday morning on All In Sports Talk Radio Network, um, these numbers will probably change, and the standings will certainly change because I'm recording before the game start. But regardless, let's get into the hot teams of the week. Let's start with none other than the Houston Rockets. We've already talked a good amount about them with the Monty Unis thing and, and the, the Golden State game. Um, but they just came, they're coming off a 4-1 Western Conference road trip that includes wins at Sacramento, which isn't that impressive. Wins at Portland, you would consider somewhat impressive. Um, we, of course, the, the big back-to-back um, wins in Golden State and in Denver. I was really expecting the Rockets to get, you know, if not blown out, comfortably beaten in Denver. They didn't. I heard that they didn't land in Denver until 5 a.m. Um, you can only imagine how much sleep they got to come back, prepare for the next game. And then not only that, they came out and they ran the Nuggets off their own floor. They were unstoppable. They scored 128 points in regulation. The Nuggets, the Nuggets looked really out of it to begin with, so... I'm not going to give all the credit for the Rockets, but I have to give them some credit because after that draining victory, both physically and mentally against Golden State, it is a big win, double overtime in in Golden State against a rival. The Rockets and Warriors have had somewhat of a rivalry going on the past two seasons, even though the Rockets always lose to the Warriors. It is they still The teams still don't like each other. And so it was physically and mentally draining in that game, and they came back the next night and they just ran the Nuggets off the floor. So it was really impressive. Capped off a 4-1 road trip. The Rockets are now... 13 and 7 um and the, the most significant thing if you haven't heard by now is that out of their first 20 games 14 have been on the road and their december schedule gets really i want i want to say easy but really really comfortable so tonight they play the celtics at home which isn't comfortable lakers at home on wednesday is a winnable is a very, very winnable game then they play at oklahoma city and then they continue on playing the Nets and the Wolves and the Pelicans. They've got a really comfortable December schedule with a lot of those games at home. So you would only think that they're, that they're going to improve their standings um, using this favorable December schedule. And um, they're actually only two games out of the third seed in the Western Conference because the Clippers have been really stagnating uh, recently. So the Rockets with their 4-1 and road trip and 13-7 and record after their first 20 games with 14 of them being on the road. Those, the Rockets are one of the hottest teams in the league, and we'll see if they can keep it up this week when they go home um, and, and play in Houston for the majority of the December games. The next team I want to talk about are the Raptors. They've won six straight, and now they're only a half a game out of the first uh, first place in the Eastern Conference, and um, they are second in offensive rating. So we know the Warriors have the best offensive rating, right, 114.8, but the Raptors are right behind them at 113.8, um, and then you couple that, with um, now they're only 16th in defensive rating, 
which is a little low for an elite team. But you couple that with that elite offense, and you get a net rating of 10.2, which is uh, second best in the league. So, you know, the Raptors have been really impressive. Again, they've won six straight. They're, they're really being kind of underrated. No one's really talking about them. I know a fellow co-host on, on All in Sports Talk Radio Network and a colleague of mine, Tambulin Richardson, loves to point out on Twitter how no one is talking about the Raptors. Um, if, if you are a Raptors fan um, or if just a general NBA fan, you should definitely follow her. She has some great insight into the Raptors and the NBA, of course. Um, but she loves to point out how they're underrated. And you, you have to agree. I mean, a team's won six straight. They only half came out of the Eastern Conference. They have a 10.2 net rating, good for second in the league, second best offensive rating in the league. And no one is essentially no one is talking about them. People talking about the Bulls because of their distractions with Rajon Rondo. People, of course, talking about the Warriors when you're not talking about the Warriors. People talking about the Cavs because of their quote the LeBron James you know honeymoon is over and their recent struggles. Talking about the Clippers because they can't seem to you know get into cruise control. They've, they're four and four in their last eight games. You talk about the Clippers for that reason. You're always talking about the Spurs and their undefeated road record and their struggles at home. No one talks about the Toronto Raptors. And here they are winning off win, winning off, running off wins and um, are close to being first in the conference. I don't think they're going to finish first in the East, but they're, right now they look very comfortable for second. I think the Bulls will fall off. I think the Celtics will get the third seed, even though I predicted them to get the second seed. But the Raptors have been very impressive. That offense is extremely well, uh, incredible. And I think uh, Kevin Pelton for ESPN um, did a piece on the Raptors uh, offense today, so you should really check that out. It's just a, such a high-powered offense, and, and their defense is 16, which is actually a little bit below league average, but their offense is number two in the league, and they can get that 10.2 net rating. They're just blowing teams out. Um, so the Raptors are a hot team. They've won six straight and uh, are just cruising offensively. The next hot team are the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks have won four straight games, and... Um, are doing it with the eighth best defense now and um, their 14th best offense. So I have the NBA.com advanced team stats in front of me. So I'm just going to be, I'm going to be scrolling through when I talk about these teams, of course. Um, so again, 14th best offense, which is, you know, what kind of what you expect, especially without Chris Middleton. Um, I wrote a piece on Yanni Sedentankupo um, for the 94 feet report blog. You can check out I've tweeted out a bunch of links to it, et cetera, and I dive into his advanced numbers. Um, Giannis is just incredible. Um, I believe um, the stat line is that he'll be the first player, and if he, if he holds up his averages, this that he's what he's averaging so far, if he holds them for the rest of the season, he will be the first player in NBA history to average over 20 points per game, eight rebounds per game, six assists per game, two steals per game, and two blocks per game. That is an incredible stat line. And then when you dive into the advanced numbers, which I don't have in front of me, but you can check out in the blog post, the 94 Feet Report blog, um, the advanced numbers are just as good and just as eye-opening on Giannis' performance so far this season. So, of course, he is leading this team um, to a 10-8 and record, again, with the 14th best offense and the um, 8th best defense. So after last year's defensive debacle, um, Remember, two years ago, they were really good defensively. That's how they got to the playoffs. And then last year, they were really bad defensively. That's the big reason why they missed the playoffs. And now they seem to be back into the top 10 defensively. And they're close to the, they're close to the top 10 offensively. So that, yeah, that's kind of that, kind of that signifier of a really good team when you're top 10 in both offense and defense. So the Bucks have won four straight, are back in the top 10 defensively and, and creeping up there offensively. So they're a hot team, um, especially the hot team of the week. And the final... Um, hot team I want to talk about, the Detroit Pistons. Now, they had won three straight before last, yesterday's loss, and ironically, they lost when they got Reggie Jackson back. Um, so that's the that's the big the big news for the Pistons is not that they um, are 3-1 in their last four games, but rather that they get, are they're getting Reggie Jackson back. And they're getting Reggie Jackson back to a team that has the fifth-best defensive rating in the NBA. Very impressive. But you have to scroll down to 16th for their offensive rating. And you would think that Jackson being their, arguably their best offensive player, maybe second best um, to Drummond, but he's definitely their better, best creator and best scorer. So I would say he's their best offensive player. Um, you have to think that getting Reggie Jackson back will improve that offense. So, you know, by how much, I'm not sure. Can you improve them from 16th to 10th while not killing the defense? Jackson's not a great defender, but he certainly is not a, a turnstile at point guard. So maybe he improves the the defense, I mean the offense, sorry, from 16th to 10th while the defense can stay in the top 10. And that's, again, that signifier of what I think is an elite team if you're top 10 on both ends. 
So the key thing with the Pistons, yes, they're pretty. They're a pretty hot team. Um, I mean, when you look at their record, they're only 11 and 11. But when you consider that they're 11 and 11, or they're 11 and 10 without Reggie Jackson, um, that's very impressive in my opinion. And they've had a pretty hard schedule to start the season. So getting Reggie Jackson back is huge for them while they improve that offense and try and maintain that defense. So. Those are the four hot teams I really wanted to mention. Of course, the Thunder are a hot team. Um, I'm going to get to them in our trends segment more, but I will mention them as a hot team. They have won five straight, and Russ, of course, has five straight triple-doubles in those games. Um, but we're going to dive more into that in uh, our trend, our yay or nay trends game in a little bit. And so let's get to the cold teams of the week. I mean, really, you've got to... You've got to start with the Hawks. I mean, they have just collapsed. They've lost six straight games. Um, I think it was last Saturday night that they uh, someone announced that they had a players-only meeting scheduled by Dwight Howard, which is pretty ironic. Um, but so the the Hawks still have they're ten and eleven now. So they lost six straight. They're ten and eleven. They still have the second best defensive rating in the league, which is really really impressive. But their offense is their offensive rating is 27th at 99.1 which gives them a net rating of negative 1.4 i mean this team has just collapsed of course it's clearly seen that they've maintained the second best defensive rating in the league so it's not the defense that's killing them it's the offense and it's just abysmal i remember they started off like 9 and 3 or something um was it eight and three and they had like a top five offense and like the best defense the, the defense is still elite but the offense is just abysmal now it's just collapsed over the past week or so leading to those six straight losses leading to an under 500 record leading them to be outside of the playoffs looking in right now of course it is still early and you think you know i will get to that this is another thing i'm going to get to in my trend segment so the trend segment really covers a lot of topics um but you have to think that they have too much talent to miss the playoffs right i mean you never know but um, if the other Eastern Conference teams play like they have been playing so far and the Hawks keep playing like this, especially on offense, they could be missing the playoffs and there'll be some serious, serious issues to deal with with the Hawks. But um, they, are, they are the coldest team in the league. Forget about the week. They are the coldest team in the league right now overall. Um, as I mentioned, the Cavs with their kind of LeBron James talking about their honeymoon is over quote that really gra- grabbed a lot of attention. They are one of the coldest teams in the league. They've lost three straight, and they've all been pretty comfortable losses, um, especially to the Clippers at home. They just got blown out there, um, even though the Clippers were the ones struggling going into that game. So, And then LeBron James, you know, yeah, the J.R. Smith high-fiving, hugging Jason Terry, losing his man on the play, which is just inexcusable but also hilarious at the same time because it's J.R. Smith. Um, but then you had the, the big deal is that LeBron James is, you know, taking that kind of leadership, kind of angry, like, leader of the team role that he, that he sometimes did last season. Remember last season he had all those, like, subtweeting uh, of his players and teammates, and then, of course, they fired David Blatt and they brought in Tyron Lue, and they went out to win the title. Now he's talking about, you know, the honeymoon is over, like, we got complacent, now it's time to, you know, refresh and refocus our, our attention. So we'll see if, the, if the, those public quotes from LeBron, because those are public quotes to the media, not just in the locker room in a players-only meeting, um... We'll see if those have any effect on the Cavs. And the final cold team I want to talk about, the Denver Nuggets. So we, we talked about um, the uh, the Rockets coming into Denver after the second night of a back-to-back against after that double overtime win in Golden State and just blowing the Nuggets out. That's the reason why I put them on this list because they just looked like a complete mess in that game. I mean, they could not stop the Rockets at all. And uh, they were they look good on defense offensively, but of course a lot of teams do against the Rockets like think 26th best defense in the league. Um, but I mean defensively they were just abysmal. And when you, when you look at it, the Nuggets are 25th in defensive rating, and if you go to the offensive rating, they are 19th. So that 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 is a recipe for a really bad team. Of course they've got some rotations that don't make sense. They've got a weird mix of veterans and young players, you know, Gallinari and Chandler are there and Farid, but then you've also got Jokic and Nurkic and and Harris um and, and Murray and Mudiay, you know, they don't really know what to do. I mean, a trade has to come for that team because they've got veterans that don't really belong and should go to contending teams. They should get and the Nuggets should look for draft picks or pieces back because this team is not ready to contend, and they're still really young, so they could still build a really good core um, with the right trade. So they are a bad team right now. They look like a mess. Um, 
Malone, I think after the Nuggets lost to the Rockets, Malone had to publicly apologize to the fans, um, just saying that it, we, we that, that performance was inexcusable, blah, 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 et cetera. You know, we're not in a good state right now, et cetera. Obviously, I'm just like paraphrasing off the top of my head. Um, but the Nuggets look like a real mess right now. Um, so that's why they're one of the cold teams of the week. So that was just a quick recap of the week in terms of, you know, team performance. I didn't really do performance of the week because I, I don't want to do that every week. Um, we'll probably return with that segment next week. Um, so I like some weeks I like to do performance of the week. Some team, some weeks I like to do teams of the week, et cetera, and keep it fresh while I recap the week of NBA basketball. And, um, of course, uh, this episode airs Tuesday mornings, especially on All in Sports Talk Radio Network. But, again, if you missed it before, we um, – do have a new uh, kind of style episode. It's a 30-minute quick episode that will be released on Friday afternoon. It's called Free Talk Fridays. It's really casual, no advanced stats and metrics and notes written down, just kind of off the top of your head, kind of casual conversations that you would have with your friends or coworkers. So check that out, Free Talk Fridays on the 94 Feet Report. Up next, we're going to be doing our uh, running segment called Watching You. The person I'm watching this week is Tom Thibodeau. So we've heard for the past like week and a half that there have been rumors that he wants to win this year and is willing to trade one of his young players for an established vet that can help this season. And um, at this point in time, the Wolves are 6-14, and 14, including 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They had that home-and-home home loss to the Knicks, which was pretty discouraging that they couldn't beat the Knicks at least one time, especially in Minnesota. But they did have that interesting and potentially season-defining win in Charlotte um, in overtime. And so could that be a turning point? I mean, we don't know. But the question is, I mean, so the Wolves have the 10th best offense, but are a lowly 22nd in defense. And you know Tom Thibodeau prides himself on being a great defensive mastermind and coach. And a lot of people expected him to turn this Wolves team into a really good defensive team. But it looks like the offense has clearly come faster than the defense. So 10th in offense, 22nd in defense, which is why they're 6-14. And, and they have a good um, – they actually have only have a negative .5 net rating. And they've been in a lot of games, but they've had those third-quarter collapses, and they're just not used to closing out games. So, you know, does Thibodeau get antsy? I mean, it, it is always dangerous to give a coach um, GM power too. You know, Doc Rivers is a great example He's just been pretty abysmal in building that Clippers bench, sacrificing picks for basically nothing. Um, and Stan Gundy has done a good job in Detroit, so it's really hit or miss. But it, it's very dangerous for this team, specifically if Thibodeau were, were to go out and trade Zach Levine for an established veteran, and um, the veteran doesn't fit in with a young core and young team, and they're still not ready to win, and then you you know sacrifice the future for for now when this team it looks like it's still a year away from competing in the in the playoffs. So Tom Thibodeau is the, is the is the person I'm watching this week in the NBA for various reasons, good or bad. Before we get to our trend segment, kind of the meat and potatoes of today's show, um, I just want to remind everyone that we are brought to you by Fan Essentials. So Fan Essentials is a really great subscription service. You can go on their website, fanessentials.net. You choose your sport, and then you choose your favorite team within that sport. Um, and you choose your subscription package. It's like, I think it's small, medium, or large, and that kind of dictates the uh, box size of, of gear you get shipped right to your door. And so after you do that, each month they will send you a box shipped right to your door with your favorite team's gear. It's really cool. I tried it out for the Rockets. They give you some unique gear that you can't really get anywhere else. So check out fanessentials.net. And, of course, if you use the promo code 94FEET at checkout, that's in all caps, by the way, uh, you'll get 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials. So this is a little game I like to call Yay or Nay. Um, and in this game, it's not really a game I'm playing with myself, but you know what? We'll still call it a game here on the 94 Feet Report. Um, in this game of yay or nay, I will essentially give my take, yay or nay, of course, on um, various trends in the NBA that I've seen develop and uh, essentially yay or nay on, on each trend keeping up or not. So if it's a yay, I believe the trend will keep up. If it's a nay, I believe the trend will not keep up. And the first trend that we'll be talking about tonight is playoff teams shaping up. So essentially, are the are the teams that are slotted in the playoffs right now shaping up to be those teams that will be there at the end of the year? And I'm going to go nay in the East and yay in the West. As I mentioned before, we're talking about the Hawks for the coldest team um, of the week or in the league, essentially. 
Um, I still think the Hawks are just too talented to miss the playoffs. Right now they're on the outside looking in with a 10-11 and 11 record. Um, but you have to think that, um, again, I have to clarify that these are, you know, the playoff teams themselves, not the standings. So I'm not talking about, you know, the Blazers finishing as the eighth seed. I'm talking about the Blazers finishing as a playoff team. I'm not talking about the Bucks finishing as the seventh or sixth seed, though I think they're the fifth seed, actually. I'm not fi- I'm not talking about the Bucks finishing as the fifth seed specifically, but as but them finishing as a playoff team overall. So these are just talking about the playoff teams themselves making the playoffs, not their actual standing position at the end of the year. Um, so as I was saying, I think the Hawks are just too talented to miss the playoffs. I mean, if I had to pick a team that would fall out of the Eastern Conference playoffs, I think it could be the Knicks, though I also think the Bucks would be easily susceptible to falling out of the playoffs. But I think it's more likely that the Knicks um, are the team that uh, fall out of the playoffs and fall out of the playoffs in um for the Hawks to, to squeeze in because I think the Hawks just have more talent, better coached. Um, I just think that that's the way I see happening. I mean, as of right now, the Hawks are the 10 seed with 10, with a record of 10 and 11. Pacers are the 9 seed with 10 and 10. And I think the Pacers themselves will also squeak into the playoffs as well. So, I mean, you look at it, the East is not particularly strong this year. I mean, once you get past the top three teams, or maybe top four teams is pretty much a crapshoot. Uh, but the Bucks are the fifth seed with a record of 10 and 8. The Hornets are 6 at 11 and 9. The Knicks are 7 at also at 11 and 9. And the Pistons are 8 at 11 and 11. So I think that the Pacers and Hawks, I think the Pacers and the Hawks will make the playoffs. And I, I actually think that they will make the playoffs in favor of the Knicks and the Bucks. I'm a huge fan of the Bucks and I love watching them, especially Giannis. Um, but I do think they might fall out of the playoffs. But I'm more confident on the Hawks making the playoffs than the Pacers at this point. Because the Pacers really, I mean, the Hawks are struggling, but I think the Pacers just really hit or miss every night. In the West, I, I think that these are the uh, these are the playoff teams. I mean, sorry, Los Angeles Lakers fans, but, I mean, you run to the teams. Warriors, Spurs, Clippers are a lock, maybe most likely a lock for the top three seeds. Rockets and Thunder, you, and Rockets and Thunder you think are a lock for the playoffs, especially the way both teams are playing. The Grizzlies, I... They do have those Mike Con- the Mike Conley injury, Parsons injury, but they're still 13-8, and eight and they should be able to manage their way through that injury. So I think that they're a lock for the playoffs. I'm really high on the Jazz. They're 12-9, and nine, sitting at the seventh seed. I think that if they can somewhat stay healthy, I'm not even asking for a perfect bill of health, just some reasonable measure of health for the majority of the season, and I think the the Jazz are a top-six seed. So I think that they're a lock, and the Blazers are 11-10 and 10 in the A seed right now, and they're just a better team than the Lakers, and they have more experience. Of course, they have more playoff experience, but they have more experience overall than the Lakers, which is why I don't think it would be particularly close coming down to the end of the season for the fight for the A seed, but even if it is close, I think the, the Blazers have more experience to close it out. Um, I think the difference between the A seed and the ninth seed in the West will be pretty significant this year. I think it'll finish like this, where the the Blazers are the eighth seed and the Lakers are the ninth seed. Um, but it, I mean, it'll be a significant, like, five to six, maybe even seven-game difference because the bottom of the West is just some kind of a joke, really. Um, you've got four teams that... There are actually six teams with 13 losses already, including four with 14 losses already. And of course, the Mavericks at 4-15 and 15 in the bottom of the West. So, yes, again, nay in the East but yay in the West in terms of playoff teams shaping up as they are right now. The next trend is um, the Spurs not being a top 10 defense. So the next two trends are actually, well, no, actually, two of the next three trends are about the Spurs themselves. But uh, let's talk about the Spurs not being a top 10 defense. The Spurs have fallen to 13th in defensive rating. At 102.5, they still have a net rating of 6.1 because of their because of um, their six-ranked offense. But this 13th rank, this 13th ranked defense is, is a real you know cause for concern. I'm going to say nay on this trend. I think that they will turn things around. They'll they'll figure something out and they'll figure out how to deal with Paul Gasol in defense and they'll figure out some way. Of course, Popovich will not let them stay at 13th in, in defense. And I think that eventually they will, you know, maybe give more offensive possessions to LaMarcus Aldridge so Kawhi can get more rest for defense. So they'll, they'll figure something out. Popovich will figure something out um, to cope with their, you know, defensive shortcomings. Cough, cough, Pogasol. Cough, cough. 
Um, so I'm going to have to say nay. I think that they'll squeak into the top 10 defensively and maintain that top 10 offense, which is why we think the Spurs are an elite team. Um, though I would say so far this and the other trend we're going to talk about the Spurs is a major concern going forward in terms of their serious playoff chances. But again, nay for the trend of the Spurs not being a top 10 defense this season. And the next trend is going to be Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double for the entire season. I have to go with yay on this trend. People, when he first started getting those triple-doubles, um, people were like, oh, you know what? You know, I, Most people said that he wasn't going to keep it up, but I'm going to have to say he's going to keep it up. I mean, again, we know he has the five-year triple-doubles, which has led to five-year Thunder wins. Um but uh, I have to clarify that those wins have been against a pretty, pretty soft schedule. And we're going to get to that because Russell Westbrook will also feature in our best and worst of the week. Again, it's pretty clear which side of that coin he's going to uh, land on. But um, looking at the Thunder, they have a 101.9 defensive rating, which is good for ninth in the league. And they couple that with a 15th rated offensive rating in the league. So they're close to those top 10 on both uh, ends of the floor. Um but the thing with Russ's triple doubles is that they're not really they're not only stat padding. I mean, maybe in the last maybe some garbage time they're they're stat padding, but they really more likely they've been very essential for the Thunder to win. It's not a coincidence that his five straight triple doubles have coincided with with um, five straight Thunder wins. And most of those game most of those games have been close because the Thunder aren't. I don't think the Thunder are that good of a team. I think they're a good team, probably the fifth or sixth seed in the West. Um. But I don't think they're an elite team. Some people do think they're an elite team. I just don't think so. I think they've had a good, easy schedule to get off to this good start. Uh, they're 13-8 and eight right now. Um, but he, Westbrook have plenty of opportunities to get those triple doubles. I think his usage percentage is 41%, um, which is just unheard of. And I don't, I'm not sure if he can maintain it, but if he does, I'll be damned. If he doesn't average a triple-double for the rest of the season with that kind of usage percentage on this kind of team that is so focused around him, of course, and that really needs his triple-doubles to win those games, win, win games, especially against good teams. Um, but even sometimes they struggle against teams that they really should comfortably beat. So I'm yay for Russ averaging a triple-double for the rest of the season, mainly due to his high usage percentage and how essential those triple-doubles are for the Thunder's actual success. So let's get to uh, another trend uh, that we have. Now, we already talked about this briefly before, but um, I want to talk about the Timberwolves being a worse-than-league-average defense as a trend. Now, this one's pretty hard because you still it is still only a month of the season, so you still have to think that eventually Thibodeau will will turn them around. Maybe he makes a drastic change, trade. Um, or change, but more likely a trade for a veteran who can play on the defensive end. It's possible, um, and if you were to do that, then that could significantly improve the defense, the Wolves' defense. But um, if not, I'm gonna have to say yay on this trend, meaning that I think that they will still finish below league average, of course, 15th um, in defensive uh, in defense this season. So again, the 15th best defensive rating in the league is somehow the, the Dallas Mavericks which, with a rating of 103.6. Um, you must say, like, how did that Mavericks so bad with the 15th best defense? Well, they have a 97.4 offensive rating, a.k.a. good for 28th in the league, also good for a negative minus 6.2 net rating. So that's how the Mavericks are still being terrible. And they've had a lot of injuries, of course, to Dirk and J.J. Barea and Deron Williams. So many injuries to count. Um so going back to the Wolves, so right now they're 22nd, as we talked about, with a 106.5 defensive rating, which is essentially three um, points worse than the Mavericks' 15th. And I just, I don't know, I think that they're going to struggle defensively. They're a young team. They don't really, they miss some closeouts sometimes. They miss some switches on pick and rolls. But they're really good offensively, which is what I think a lot of these young guys love to do. You know, we know Levine probably loves playing on offense, not, not really playing a defense. Uh, Andrew Wiggins enjoys, you know, getting some stats. Carl Anthony Towns putting up some real numbers, too. So they're right now they're 10th in offensive rating at 100, 106, excuse me, right on the dot. And the, I think the most interesting thing about the team is that they essentially have a neutral net rating. It's only minus 0.5. 
um, yet they're six and fourteen, and so that really speaks to um, that really speaks to their uh, inability to close games down the stretch, their collapses in the third quarter, which I I thought by now Tom Thibodeau would figure out. Um, I remember uh, we had Tamberlin Richardson on the show around three weeks ago, uh, and we were talking about the Wolves, and I said that you know they collapse in the third quarter, and that's something that Thibodeau will figure out, and they'll turn it around. Um, again, I'm not really high on the Wolves. I know some people had them at 50 wins. A lot of people had them comfortably in the playoffs. I had them at 40 wins missing the playoffs. But um, a lot of people were really high on them. And so I, I thought that, you know, at the time, you know, Thibodeau using his coaching, of course, would turn around those third quarter collapse because something's coming, something's going on when they come out of halftime. It's very strange. Um, but maybe they're used to getting blown out by halftime. <laughs> but um, I'm talking about last season, last season of course. Uh, but a lot of people, I thought they were turning around those third quarter collapses, but they haven't really. Um, and so you look at their net rating and you're like, oh, this team should be around 500. And then you look at their actual record and they're six and 14 and it speaks to their youth and their inexperience to close out games. Um, we saw it in those games against the Knicks, um, especially in the, in the home game. Um, and so I just, I was just worried about their youth and being too young. So going back to the defense, I think I'm yay. I think that that's going to maintain in terms of, uh, being below league average defensively. I think it'll creep up a couple of spots, but it won't be good enough um, for them to turn it around and make the playoffs, which a lot of people a lot of people predicted. And let's get to our final trend of the night. The trend is Spur- the Spurs setting the best road record in the NBA of all time. And I'm going to go yay on this one. So they're 11-0 right now on the road. The record to beat is 34-7 and by the Warriors in 2015-2016. Of course, that record-setting year overall for the Warriors. Um, so 34-7 and is the road record to beat for the Spurs this season. And they started off 11-0. and And interesting, interestingly enough, only 5-4 and at home. After coming off a season where they only lost one game in San Antonio, they've already lost four this season, including a game to the Orlando Magic, for crying out loud. Um, so there are some serious home concerns. Again, remember when we were talking about the Spurs being out of the top 10 defensively? You couple that concern with the concern of them playing at home. And there are some concerns to, to wonder, you know, are the Spurs still that elite team, especially in the playoffs? I saw on Twitter today that they only have one double-digit win in their last, like, eight or nine, eight to ten games. Even though it was a pretty cupcake schedule, that double-digit win was against the Wizards in, in Washington. And then they came home to play the Wizards, and they had to— they used the Kawhi Leonard buzzer beater, not a buzzer beater, but a go-ahead shot with the final seconds to win that game by two. Um, they've had really close wins against the Mavericks and the Grizzlies and the Lakers, teams that you would expect the Spurs, especially at home, to be blowing out. Um, and so those are some two major concerns I have the Spurs. Now, again, you could you could kind of debate that by saying, well, look how good they are on the road, and that'll be important in the playoff time. Of course it will. But... Um, you want the Spurs to be great on the road, maybe not. You don't, maybe not this great, but you want them to be great on the road and great at home. Right now, they're they're incredible and untouchable on the road, but mediocre at home, which is very unique for the Spurs. Again, we didn't expect this, and we didn't expect them to be out of the top ten defensively. Um, of course, most people expected them to fall defensively a couple of spots. By when you, that, that's just what happens when you replace Tim Duncan with Paul Gasol. But most people didn't predict the drop to all the way to thirteenth in defensive rating. So anyways, going back to the, their road, their play on the road. So as I mentioned, they're 11-0, and their record to beat is 34-7. and I looked up the next couple of games for the Spurs, the next couple of road games. The Spurs' next five on the road are at Milwaukee, at the Timberwolves, which we've spent a lot of time talking about so far, at the Bulls, at the Suns, and at the Rockets. Now, the Rockets are a good team, I would say. The Bulls, I would say, are, are a good team as well. But... You cannot tell me that any of those games is like a guaranteed loss. I think that all of those road games are winnable. And if the Spurs play like they have on, so far on the road, they should win all five of those road games, which would put them at 16-0 and 0 on the road. Uh, and that's already, you know, it's well ahead of the pace of 34-7. and 7. Now, of course, they could struggle on the road maybe in January or February or March, maybe when they're resting guys. At the end of the year, they, they lose one to two road games there, and they slip up and don't set the record, but... Considering the fact that the record is 34 and seven, and that the Spurs right now are 11 and 0 on the road with 
with their next five being fairly easy and I would say winnable, all five of the next five road games are winnable in my opinion. That leads me to believe that the Spurs will continue to be great on the road, win all five of those, go to 16-0 and on the road. And of course, I haven't looked far enough ahead to see their entire road schedule. But this is a trend that, one, I will be watching throughout the rest of the season, probably commenting on, on the podcast, um, because I think it's just incredible how mediocre they are at home and how incredible and almost untouchable they are on the road. And so... We're gonna have to, you know, join. We're gonna have to like rejoin this trend um, in the next couple of weeks and see how good they are on the road and see if they're still on pace to, to shatter the road record. I mean, if they win these next five on the road and move to sixteen and zero on the road, that's just gonna shatter. They're probably gonna be on pace to shatter the road record of thirty-four and seven set by the Warriors last year. But the thing is that unlike the Warriors last year, when they were equally dominant at home, the Spurs are right now mediocre at home, which is why they're not gonna have that kind of incredible overall record. So, again, I am yay on the Spurs setting the best road record of all time this season. So just to recap for the trends, um, at least I am nay on the playoff team shaping up in the East and yay in the West for the playoff team shaping up in the East. I uh, Basically saying that I think that in the West, the, play, the teams that are in the playoffs right now will stay in the playoffs and the teams that in the East are in the playoffs right now will not stay. Not all of them will stay in the playoffs. Again, has nothing to do with their actual standings at the end of the year, just their playoff spot, just being in the playoffs. I am nay on the Spurs not being a top 10 defense this season. I, I think that they eventually will figure something out to cope with Paul Gasol on that end and um, creep into the top 10 and maintain a top 10 offense. So I'm nay on the Spurs not being a top 10 defense. I am yay on Ross averaging a triple-double for the entire season. Uh, you, use, you take his incredible usage percentage and the fact that the team relies on him for so much and that they need his game, his triple doubles essentially to win games. Um, and I'm yay, so I'm yay on Russ averaging a triple double for the rest of the season. And um, I'm nay on the Wolves becoming a better than league average defense. I think they still will be um, anywhere from 15th to 20th by the end of the year in defense. Um, and so that probably is really going to infuriate Tom Thibodeau. And the final trend, I am yay on the Spurs setting the best road record of all time again the record is 34 and 7 the spurs are 11 and 0 on the road right now with the next five being uh, next five games on the road being the bucks the wolves the bulls the suns and the rockets all of those are winnable and for that reason i think that uh the spurs will i'm yay on the spurs setting the best road record of all time this season Again, if you missed the earlier part of the show, if you're listening live on All in Sports Talk Radio Network, we talked about Donatus Yunus's contract um, that was just matched before we started recording this um, by the Rockets. So Yunus is back in the NBA, finally playing games um, for the Rockets at a unique four-year $37 million deal that has a lot of incentives, a lot of non-guaranteed salary, a lot of non-guaranteed years. So I'm not the one to get the details on the contract from, but we talked about that in the beginning, and then we recapped the... the uh, Last week in the NBA, talking about hot teams and cold teams. So check out the if you're listening live on All in Sports Talk Radio Network, check out the podcast um, version of this episode if you want to catch up on some of the teams we talked about. We talked about the Raptors, we talked about the Rockets, we talked about the Bucks, the Pistons, the Hawks, the Cavs, the Nuggets, the Wolves, Thunder, etc. And then if you missed the other segment we had, we had the Watching You segment, and this week it's Tom Thibodeau who I'm watching. Uh, to see if he's going to make a trade with the Wolves 6-14, and 14, including 3-7 and seven in the last 10, and being so poor defensively, which is essentially Tibbs' is, uh, hallmark, being good on the defensive end. And with that, we are just about done with, ten- with tonight's episode of the 94 Feet Report podcast. We just have one more segment, which is Best and Worst of the Week. All right, let's get into the best and worst of the week. I'm never always, I'm never really sure um, how to start the segment off. Do I always do I do best before worst? Do I do worst before best? I feel like I've always been switching it up um, each week. So I mean, I don't know. Is there is there any way I should really start this off? I mean, does anyone do people like hearing bad news before good news or good news before bad news? Essentially, um, but I'm going to start off this week with the worst of the week because I have a longer rant on the worst of the week. This week's worst of the week, Draymond Green. Draymond Green is still kicking people. 
but is now going crazy on the officials for calling it. He was already complaining about calling it when they called it um, in the playoffs last year, but now he's really going crazy. He went on a long rant um, on the officials talking about unnatural acts, and he brought James Harden into it, saying that James Harden's, you know, when he drives to the rim and hooks your arm, it's not not natural. It's not a natural basketball move, um, which is the argument that people use, especially league officials have used so much on Draymond Green, saying it's not a, it's not a natural move to, to flare, your, flare your legs around like that and kick people in all over the, their bodies. Um, so Draymond Green like took a, a, just went on a rant saying, you know, Harden linking his arms, drawing contact is not a natural move. Um, and then Harden went back at him saying, you know, like I'm, I'm just trying to draw contact and if you found me, you found me. Like people are, are emulating me now saying that people, like he, Harden's confidence is back by the way. Um, if you missed that Sports Illustrated article with Ben Golliver from his shoe release, Harden's confidence is back. He said that basically, not only did he say that he's the MVP right now, uh, and he and he said he referred to himself as the beard. When when Ben Golliver asked him who's the MVP, Harden answered the beard. That's the only thing he said. Um, but Harden said that re- responding to Green's comment about his unnatural, his quote unquote unnatural acts, he said that you know he's drawing, he's just driving to the rim, trying to he's getting contact. People are fouling him. You put your arms you know, essentially in his cookie jar, and he's going to draw that foul on you. Um, and then he pointed to other players. He didn't name names, but he pointed to players copy, copying his moves. And a lot of people on Twitter pointed to DeMar DeRozan starting to use that, that James Harden kind of arm hook. Um, and so Harden went back at Green. Um, but that's just, this is really, he's more of the worst of the week for just the, the kickings themselves. I mean, that play against Harden, fine, you can defend, you can kind of, People have defended that, saying, you know, oh, he was in the air. He was getting fouled himself. His, his legs just flare up anyways. Um, I still think it was unnecessary, of course, and that's why it got the flagrant That's why it got the flagrant foul, and they did make that kind of new exception or new rule in the NBA about those, you know, leg kicks, it's essentially because of Draymond's kicks in the playoffs, especially Steven Adams. Um, but that kick, that flagrant foul kick on Harden, um, in the second overtime of the game against the Rockets last week, essentially, or you could argue, cost them the game. Curry, by that point, had fouled out. There was still, I think it was still a two-point game, the two-point lead by the Rockets at that point when Green fouled, when Green got fouled and then proceeded to flagrant foul Harden. And, you know, flagrant foul, Harden got two free throws and the ball, and they were able to score in that next possession and essentially put the game away. So you could argue that that kick essentially cost them the game versus the Rockets. And then... Um, another reason, another reason why Green is the worst of the week is because you know he's in his rant he just starts talking about and, and people who defend Green for these kicks saying that you know he can't control his body when he's getting you know when he's playing in the games right, which is an understandable argument in some cases. Some cases you cannot control your body. Sometimes the leg flares up. You re- you react to contact differently each time um, depending on the contact that you're receiving. There are other there are arguments to make defending some of those kicks but some of the kicks that Draymond Green has done are just I think indefensible and just disgusting the kick obviously the, the probably the most infamous one that everyone knows is the the one straight to Stephen Adams um I want to say genitals um uh they, he kicks he kicks Stephen Adams straight in the balls uh in the playoffs and that one was looked pretty clear because I think in, there was a slow-mo replay going around Twitter that had um, Green looking like right where his leg was, like looking to make sure he was kicking him right where he wanted to. Um, so that one really pointed out kind of the, the blatancy of that of that kick. And then if you missed it, the next night, was it Sunday night? Oh, yeah, it was Sunday night, actually. So it wasn't the night after, but um, well, it was actually Saturday night, I believe. Um, Saturday against the Suns, Green had a kick after uh, – Marquise Chris had like a reach and foul when so Green was on the on the ground. He wasn't jumping in the air like the kind of like the Harden one, which is kind of makes it defensible. Um, but he was not in the air. He was on the ground. He got fouled, and all of a sudden he just raised that leg, kicked Marquise Chris in the backside. But Chris had his fingers there and dislocated, um, I think, two of Chris's fingers. And a lot of people were just saying that that one is really indefensible, along with the one uh, the kick to Adams in playoffs, and then. Going around on Twitter, there was like a video montage of all the kicks of Draymond Green that has done. He there were like nine of them in the past like calendar year. Uh, there was a poll that went around that went around. Sorry, on Twitter somewhere asking if Draymond Green is a dirty player. I think it was like eighty three percent said yes, he's a dirty player. 
Um, so he's not only the worst of the week because of the actual kicks and because of the actual dirty actions that he um, does, but the fact that he's going on rants, criticizing the refs, bringing in James Harden and stuff like that to try and defend himself, uh, I just think is kind of, you know, like, dude, really, like, deep down in the, in the bottom of your, in your mind, you know you're doing it on purpose most of the time, and, and you, you know, you know you're trying to, you know, hurt your opponents and get them psychologically out of the game. Draymond Green, for the kicking and for the rant that he's going on against the officiating for calling those kicks, um, Draymond Green is the officially is officially the worst of the week here on the 94 feet report. And we're going to conclude with the best of the week. And we've already talked about him plenty of times. I mean, if you're if you're if you're doing an NBA podcast, how do you not avoid talking about this player at this point? We already hinted at him being the best of the week earlier when we talked about the Thunder. The best of the week is Russell Westbrook. So as we mentioned before, the the Thunder on a five-game winning streak. I have to clarify that I haven't been too impressed. I've, of course, been impressed with Westbrook. I'm, in cor- of course, impressed with the, re- the Thunder record so far. But this actual winning streak, I'm not entirely impressed on. Of course, the triple doubles are incredible. But let's look at their schedule in these last five games. Nuggets, Pistons, Knicks, Wizards, and Pelicans. I think it was at Denver... Home against Detroit, at New York, home against the Wizards, home against the Pelicans. Those are all. The Pistons are a pretty good team, but at that point, they still didn't have Reggie Jackson back. The Knicks, fine. The Knicks are two games over 500, but does anyone really consider them to be a good team in the NBA? Okay. The Nuggets, we know. We've already talked about their dysfunctional issues so far. The Nuggets are one of the coldest teams in the league. The Wizards are just some kind of disaster. They're like the 2015-2016 Rockets. Someone actually pointed that out on Twitter. I loved it. I love that tweet. Are the Wizards the 2015-2016 Rockets? You know, a team that had some expectations. Of course, the Rockets had a lot higher expectations coming off the Western Conference Finals, but people this year expected the Wizards, like myself, to make the playoffs comfortably. They're 6-12, and and they look like just an absolute atrocity so far. It's just a major trade waiting to happen there. And then the final game of this winning streak was against the Pelicans. Um, So those are all, you know, those are all games that you would expect the Thunder to win anyways. And they've had tough times with most of those games. So does that prove that they're not that great of a team? Or does the winning streak and the triple-doubles prove that they are a really good team? You know, they're still the, the jury is still out on the Thunder, in my opinion. And they played the Hawk, They played the really struggling Hawks tonight, too, So in Atlanta. So, you know, that win, again, is an, another win that I don't, think, I don't think will be very impressive. I know it's on the second night of a back-to-back, but... The Hawks have been so bad that I think that anyone could come in there and beat them at any time. But looking back at Westbrook, in these last five games, he's averaging 28.6 points per game, 13.8 assists per game, insane, 14.4 rebounds per game, which is just unheard of for a guard. What is he, six feet tall? Point guard getting 14 rebounds a game in his last five games. The only caveat I have, the only problem I have with the triple-doubles is that he's shooting 37.5 from the field, which is horrible but you excuse him for just the amount of sheer production you're getting out of Westbrook on a, on a nightly basis I mean as we mentioned before I think his usage percentage it might have changed and it probably will change by the time you hear this podcast his usage percentage is 41 percent that is just ridiculous and unheard of to hold over for to hold for an entire season so I think the jury still remains out on the Thunder being a, a good team or just an average team, uh, average playoff team, of course, evaluating them in comparison to the other playoff teams. Um, but the jury is certainly not out on Westbrook anymore. He is uh, a monster. He is the best of the week. And as I said in our trend segment, I am yay on Russ averaging a triple-double for the rest of the season. The triple-doubles are essential for the Thunder to win, and Russ is obviously loving the numbers that he's putting up, obviously, and getting the MVP recognition that he, of course, deserves and again, if you missed our first episode of Free Talk Friday um, last week, um, guest Alex Sparopoulos, who's been a regular guest on the show, um, talked about the awards races and talked about uh, Westbrook's case for MVP, which is, of course, it's a strong one. How can you not be in the top consideration when you're averaging a triple level for the entire season? Um, but regardless, that is the end um, of our episode um, of the 94 Feet Report basketball podcast today. Uh, again, if you missed it, um, we talked about Monty Yunus and the Rockets contract. Monty Yunus is now officially back on the Rockets with a new contract. We talked about the hottest teams in the league and the coldest teams of the league uh, in the league. 
Um, we talked about watching you, which was Tom Thibodeau this week for the struggling Wolves and, and the rumors of Thibodeau making a trade. And we talked about some trends, um, such as the Spurs being, you know, not top 10 defensively or, and, and being a great road team, Russ averaging a triple-double for the season, et cetera, et cetera. So we talked about a, um, a lot of stuff on the, today's episode of the 94 View Report. Before uh, I leave you guys, I want to remind you that we are brought to you by Fan Essentials. Um, use promo code 94FEET at checkout. And our other sponsor is Daily Fantasy Nerd. If you use the link, you, if you specifically use the link that is included in our episode descriptions as well as our um, on Twitter, uh, you'll be helping out the podcast and getting some really great daily fantasy tools, especially if you play NBA daily fantasy lineup optimizers and analyzers, et cetera, et cetera. So check out those two sponsors, Fan Essentials, promo code 94 feet, and Daily Fantasy Nerd. Check out the customized link in our episode descriptions. I am your host, Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros for um, the articles I write for the Dream Shake, as well as our new blog, the 94 Feet Report blog on WordPress. Check out the blog as well. Um, and uh, we will be back on Friday with another episode, episode two of Free Talk Fridays here on the 94 Feet Report. I hope between then you guys have a great week of watching NBA basketball. Take care, guys.